everyone here this morning. Get this going. I like the song, Bring It All to the Table, because, you know, with our relationship with the Lord, if we don't take everything, if we don't give everything to Him, Satan's going to use that. If we think there's anything we can cherish in this life, he is going to use that to undermine us. And we look at Christ on the cross, and Satan, with all his demonic forces, could not find one character flaw in Christ. And whenever you look at the the crucifixion, not just the physical, but the emotional, the spiritual, everything, bringing it all together, there was not one thing Satan could find in Christ's character to give him the advantage. And so when Jesus said, it is finished, Satan knew he was lost. There's an interesting story, um, kind of like similar to Mandy's story. Um, Probably 20, almost 30 years ago, I had gotten a brand new S10 a brown four-speed pickup truck, brand new. And a friend of mine, we uh, went for a ride. That was a good idea. So we jumped on the interstate and just started driving down the road. No real place to go, but we were just driving along. And I felt impressed by the Holy Spirit, I guess it was, to turn around. And I thought, nah, I'm okay. So I kept driving And I felt that impression again, turn around, go home. And I thought, no, I don't need to do that. And so I kept going. And then uh, my friend said, hey, she used to live over here, so let's turn off here and go. So we drove past a car wash, and the impression was at least stop and wash your windshield because this was in the middle of... The summer, and in Illinois, you know, you get lots of bugs like you do up here. Ever drive through the UP in the summertime on a calm night? It wasn't quite that bad, but it was really bad. There was just bug splatters all over the windshield. Nah, I'm okay. So I kept driving, and I didn't know it, but I ran a stop sign. Well, I, ran, I found out really quick that I ran a stop sign because there was a station wagon going through the intersection at the same time, and they had the right-of-way. I didn't. And so they plowed into the side of us, Rolled my S10 on the side. I thought we went flipped and flipped, but we just rolled over on the side. But the folks in the station wagon got hurt. We didn't get hurt. My friend got a chipped tooth, but okay. But, and you know, that was pretty traumatic for her. But in that, whenever the accident, whenever I helped her out of the vehicle and I got out of the vehicle, I um, was sitting on the corner with my head in my hands thinking, Lord, why? Why did you do that? You know, why did you let this happen? And now you think back, it's like, well, wasn't the Lord telling you all along, turn around, or at least stop, wash your windshield, do something? No, I'm okay, I'm okay. So as, you know, like in Mandy's story with the tent, you know, it's the same principle that we think we've got it under control, But the devil is back there just pushing us on, pushing us on with as many distractions as he possibly can throw at us so that we don't hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. We think we've got it. We think we've got a good grasp on what's going on. Um, I'll skip through these because we'll talk about these tonight. 
Um, by the way, tonight's is the Mark of the Beast, so that'll be interesting as well. So, we're talking about Armageddon today. Let's have prayer. Our most gracious and loving Father, we thank you so much that we can bring everything to the table and know that you are not going to condemn us because John 3.17 says that Jesus didn't come to condemn, but that all that believe in him would be saved. Father, truly worship is trusting you with everything because anything we hold on to will destroy us. Help us, Father, to submit everything to you. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. So we see earthquakes in the world. We see fires. We see volcanic eruptions all over the place. And people think, is this Armageddon? And then they see financial collapse. Um, we see global, global conflict, especially in the Middle East. You know, the things going on all the time. People think, this is going to be Armageddon. This is going to be Armageddon. But there's a principle we've been looking at as we've gone through these meetings. If it's in the Bible, we believe it. If, it's, if it disagrees with the Bible, then it's not for us. Would we expect cataclysmic events to be coming in the future? Remember Jesus told us in um, Matthew that these things are the first, these are like the, the labor pains. I remember whenever Jonathan was coming along, our first son, we made so many trips to the hospital for Braxton Hicks. We thought it was, and then we had Seth and the same thing, and Daniel. By Daniel, we were a little bit better. But, you know, those Braxton Hicks were just like, is this it? Is this it? And so the thing is, as we get closer to Christ coming, the labor pains are going to be more intense. So Revelation 4, 6 and 7 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, which is the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ's salvation for all mankind, to preach to those who dwell on the earth. And it's going to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Everybody. Nobody is left out. Saying with a loud voice, and this loud voice is the loudest voice that you can hear. Jonathan is telling me, that this is the weekend for alumni down at the school, and the Araconas were practicing, and they had the music pumped up. And so the music teacher said, uh, could you guys turn it down? We're trying to practice over here. And so after they finished practicing in the choir, the Araconas were like, okay, and they cranked the music back up. This voice is even louder. This voice is going to go to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. It's going to go to everybody who dwells on the earth. And worship him. Worship is all about trusting, trusting him, worshiping and trusting him who made heaven, earth, the sea, and the springs of water. Worship the creator. That's the message. Worship the creator. Has the creator left a symbol that he created this world? Yes, he has. In the seventh day, in the fourth commandment, he gives us a detail of who he is, his authority, and his domain. If you look at the seal, the president of the United States, it has his name, his domain, and his authority. In the Sabbath commandment, even in Genesis 1 and 2, it details who is the creator. So the fourth commandment is crucial because it's all about who can we trust to worship. Verse 7 talks about true worship. Verse 9 talks about false worship. And a third angel follows, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, notice if they worship the... Th the 
beast in his image and receives his mark. This is worshiping the beast. So we have the worshiping the creator or worshiping the beast. And the beast is just the creation. So we have the creator or the creation. There are two worships. One is false, worshiping the beast. One is true, worshiping the creator. Revelation predicts a final conflict over true and false worship. The last great conflict in these days is not a struggle in the Middle East. It's, a, it's not a struggle in Jerusalem. It's a struggle for the mind. It's a test of loyalty. The great conflict in the last days of earth's history is a struggle for the human mind. The great battle is the battle for the soul. It revolves around the issue of worship. A test of loyalty between Christ or Satan. Are we going to trust all the things that Satan promises or are we going to trust where God provides? You look at all these stories in the Bible. The reason they're given is to give you evidence that God is faithful of trust and worthy of, his, of our worship. We can trust him. This is what the whole battle is about. You look at the three Hebrew young men in Daniel chapter 3. They were in, in this, you know, in chapter 2, well, chapter 1, God showed them that he, they could trust him by providing for them all the food that they would want and God put them up on the top of the, the, um, the dean's list or whatever you want, Babylon, or Nebuchadnezzar's list. These were the top of the, the cream of the crop. Daniel chapter 2 God puts them through another test, but he shows them by revealing the image in the dream of Nebuchadnezzar that God could be trusted. So Daniel's three friends went through a trial on their own, and they showed their loyalty to God in Daniel chapter 3. Whenever everybody else bowed down to worship the image, they stood firm. They stood literally. And so whenever it comes to them, they can say, we're going to worship God. Revelation 15.1 says, And I saw another, heaven, another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them was the wrath of God. The wrath of God is complete. What is God's wrath? Is God's wrath his anger? God's wrath is not his anger at sinners. It's his judgment upon sin. It's whenever we cling to that sin and we don't let it go. God is, at some point, he has to eradicate sin. Anything hanging on to sin has to go. God says, let go of it, because I don't want you to be consumed. So there's events at the last time. Let's read about them. The worldwide gospel preaching the everlasting gospel to the entire world. It's going to be proclaimed. All humanity has to make a final eternal choice. You ever notice in the scriptures... God says something true, and then Satan comes in with a counterfeit. You start in the Garden of Eden. God tells Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree. Satan comes in and says, yes, you can. Time and time and time again throughout the scriptures, God gives a specific, the children of Israel are around Mount Sinai. God has spoken to them, don't worship other images, don't do these things. And then Satan comes in, and gives them a little hint, and they go crazy. And God comes back, and he's very faithful, but he keeps telling us, don't do this, and Satan comes in. In the end time, the 
everlasting gospel is going to be proclaimed in such a loud, such a magnificent way through around the earth. And then Satan's going to come in. There's going to be a choice people have to make. And then Satan's going to come in and he's going to come in with a false system of worship. So the mark of the beast is enforced in a final conflict. The final conflict will be over worship. God's loyal people, will they lovingly obey him? The seven last plagues are poured out. Christ delivers his people. And it says, no one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were complete. In that time, we have Christ ministering in the most holy place. He, since, as we studied in these meetings, since 1844, Jesus has been working in the most holy place. But at the same time, he's been working through the Holy Spirit here. And these truths that were long hidden in the scriptures are now being revealed. And so we know which day is the Sabbath. We know what happens when somebody dies. We know the the salvation that Christ offers. We don't have to go to anybody for our salvation. We go to Christ. We pray to our Heavenly Father. All of these things have been slowly revealed since about 1844, where Christ has been cleansing his earthly sanctuary in us. But he also has that place in the most holy place. So he who is unjust, this is going to be the command that goes out. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. Let him be holy, let him be holy still. Righteousness is holiness and purity. Unrighteousness is unholiness, impurity. Sometimes people think we can waver. We think we can be on the fence. If you're on the fence, you're on the devil's ground. You need to be decidedly on Christ's side. The final crisis that is coming upon our world will lead men and women to make one of two decisions, completely for Christ or against him. There's no middle ground. The door of probation will close and the seven last plagues will be poured out. Whenever the door was closed in the ark, was there a second chance? When Lot and his family walked out of Sodom and Gomorrah, was there a second chance? There's always that point where God draws a line and says, you've got to stop. Even Achan, God gave him time and time again. He'd stolen some clothes out of Jericho, even though God had says, don't take anything out of Jericho except for the temple. You keep everything out of your possession. This one's for me. This one's not for you. They, everybody except Achan kept it. But when they went to battle Ai, even though Ai was a small little town, they defeated the Israelite army. They thought, how did this happen? And the Lord says, Joshua, get off of your face. Here's what's going on. And so Achan said, they'll never find me. So the command went out. He says, okay, everybody assemble. We're going to pick from the 12 tribes. It finally got to Achan, and he said, yes, I'm the one. But it was too late because he would not bring everything to the Lord. He would not submit. And so we have to submit to the Lord. If we don't, it's not that we have to. It's we have to for our own safety because if we're not doing it, if we don't love and trust the Lord, Satan is going to use that against us. He knows that he can use that. Then I heard of a loud voice from heaven saying to the seven angels, Go and pour out the bowls of wrath of God on the earth. 
Do God's people go through the tribulation or are they delivered before that? Notice what this says. The Israelites were protected by God during the plagues that were poured out on the Egyptians. There were three plagues that were poured out on everybody, but the seven last plagues, does that sound familiar? The seven last plagues were poured out on the Egyptians. The Israelites lived through the plagues and were delivered at the end of the plagues. Just as the Israelites were present through the plagues and were delivered at the end, so God's people will be delivered through the seven last plagues. Same thing again for Noah and his family. They were delivered through it. Lot and his family, they were delivered through it. God always has a way of delivering. Satan throws his worst, God shows his best. In Daniel's time, the three Hebrew worthies, we will not bow down. Okay, throw them into the fire. They went into the fire. Now, the Babylonians thought, because they worshiped the sun god and all these things, they thought they had ultimate authority. God showed his authority in the fire. The fire didn't touch his people. They were faithful to him. Notice what Revelation says. These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. This isn't they come out before the great tribulation. They come out through the great tribulation. These are the ones that come out of the great tribulation. They had faith. They hung on when all around them was everything else was crumbling. It's because of our love and trust. It's not through what we have done. The only thing that we can give to God is our will. The seven last plagues. There's a deeper message in these plagues than what, we, what most people imagine. So the source. The first plague is sores from head to toe. The Bible describes them in this way. It calls them a foul and loathsome sore. Those who enforce the mark of the beast, saying, unless you worship the beast, we are going to physically affect you. So whenever God takes, comes into the picture, he sends a physical sore on those who do not trust him, those who accept the mark of the beast. The first plague is a physical affliction. Those who promote the mark of the beast promise they cannot, what they promise they cannot deliver. So what is the first plague saying? All physical security is in Christ. Christ is our strength. He can deliver us. The authorities declare that they are going to physically oppress anyone who does not receive the mark of the beast. But then God says, I've got this one. But there are those who receive the mark of the beast and they're physically afflicted by the plagues. Jesus is our only protector. Listen to this promise he made. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear even though the earth is removed. The earth be removed. Psalms 46, 1 and 2. God is a refuge and a strength. Nothing that comes upon us will touch us unless God has a perfect plan through this. And so whenever we go through t- the troublesome times, praise the Lord, because through this, God is going to glorify his name, and somebody is going to be blessed through it. Use the afflictions that you have to give glory to God. I've got one right there, six stitches right there. They took a, a mass out of my forehead, just started growing since July. Don't know why, but there it is. So praise the Lord, and just be careful not to bump my head right now. <laughs> And through the mountains, be, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Can you imagine a mountain being carried into the midst of a sea? What would that, 
What would cause that? Though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, why don't we, why don't we fear when there are terrible calamities afflicting the physical bodies of men and women and the natural disasters afflicting the earth? Because God is our refuge and our strength. All physical security is in Christ. I was on a plane one time, and apparently the lady sitting behind me had never been on the plane. And so we were taxiing down and getting up speed and starting to take off. And she starts praying out loud, Lord, save me, help me, help me, help me. And some of the other people started laughing a little bit like, she's a (laughs) first-timer. But she survived, praise the Lord. And so we go through a trouble and we think, oh, Lord, help me. Lord's like, I'm already here. My angels are already surrounding you. Don't worry, we've got this one. So number two, sea turns to blood. What does the sea impact, especially in the in the scriptures in the New Testament? All mode of transportation at that time was through the sea. That's where all the ships would come through. So God is talking to the talking to us. Even your economics. Look at this. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it became as blood of a dead man. And every living creature in the sea died. All of the economic benefits that people could get out of the sea, they're dead. They're worthless now. Those enforcing the mark of the beast say they can control whether or not you buy or sell. They say all economic security is in the beast's power. What does the second plague say? All economic security is in Christ. We believe that at the radio station, especially, and like Bob was saying for the Voice of Prophecy offering, you know, we carry Voice of Prophecy, a couple of, several of their programs. And it's a, you are getting your funding from people who believe in the work and it's the Holy Spirit working on them to give. And so if your economic security is in the stock market, we saw that in 2008. Fortunes were lost overnight. Is that security? Or is it the one who gives you the wealth? You know, who made the gold? God does. He makes the rules. Look at the third plague. It has a message about the third plague. Rivers turn to blood. Then the third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water. So why did God do that? Why did the rivers and springs of water become blood? Water is a symbol in the Bible. What is it a symbol of? It's a symbol of life. All life. If you take water away, the land dies. You look at the desert areas. You bring water in. Life grows. Even in the areas where uh, missionaries go in, like Adra and different ones, there's folks around here that go down to Dominican Republic and they put a well in. Suddenly, the health of the village improves greatly because they've got fresh drinking water. Water is a symbol of life. And I heard the water, or I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to come. Because you have judged these things where they shed the bloods of the saints and prophets. So God turned the water to blood. And you have given them blood to drink for it is their just due. The enforcement of the mark of the beast says, if you want your life to be preserved, take the mark of the beast. They can't deliver because the rivers and fountains of water turn to blood showing them that they are not in control. All life is through Christ. So each of these plagues is a rebuke against mankind because of the mark of the beast is saying, we can do all this. And God says, this one's, this one's mine. There was a this kind of a funny story where the Lord is talking with a scientist and the scientist says, everything comes through evolution. 
And God says, no, it came through life. I created life. And the evolutionist's like, okay, well, let's try it. And God says, okay. And so God, Lord, makes, he kneels down on the dirt and starts working. And the evolutionist starts to do the same thing. And the Lord says, wait a second. I made the dirt. Get your own dirt. The point of it is, God is the source of all life. All of this mark of the beast power, they're taking advantage of the fact that God, all these God-given gifts are something that they own, that they have done of their own. They're not. And so God is pulling the rug out from under them time and time again and to the point they realize they don't have anything. They have no strength. Bread will be given him, his water will be sure. God has promised whenever these powers come into play that he will provide for his people. When the rivers and fountains of water are turned to blood and thirst and starvation spread through the earth, God will sustain those who are faithful to him with food and with water. And I bet you his water and bread taste a lot better than what we've ever tasted. Scorching of the sun. This is really interesting. Notice how the Bible puts it. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. This power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent and give him glory. The plagues reveal that they have trusted the wrong sources. All true worship is in Christ. Notice, they were worshiping the venerable day of the sun. And so now God turns the power of the sun on them, and what they worshiped is no longer worthy of worship. All true worship is in Christ. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God, and Him I will trust. God has a group of people who will put their life in His hands. They will trust him for all of their worship. They will trust him because they know he is worthy of worship. And if he says, remember the Sabbath, they do it. If God gives them a command, they obey. So now you have darkness. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and the kingdom became full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. So again, those who worship the sun... Now they have darkness. Another step is, another rug is being pulled out from underneath them. Light is also a symbol of truth, spiritual knowledge and wisdom. They have looked to the beast for light and truth, but the beast kingdom is filled with darkness. This literal darkness on the seat of the beast is an appeal to you and to me that all light is only in Christ. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. When they read, whenever the scriptures, you know, it's 200 years ago, how could you read your Bible at night? You have to have some kind of a candle or a, you know, a lantern or something. All through the ages, God's light has been shining, but now it's starting to shine even brighter. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So it's not the sun in the sky that we worship. It's Jesus, the light of the world. I am the light of the world. If we want physical security, we come to Christ. If we want economic security... We come to Christ. If we want our life preserved, we come to Christ. If you want true worship, you come to Christ. If you want truth and not falsehood, if you want light and not darkness, turn away from any church system that teaches darkness and come to Christ. Literal plagues reveal much deeper spiritual truths. 
They blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and sores and did not repent of their deeds. You would think that those rebelling against God, when afflicted by the sores, the pain, the bloody water, the scorching in the sun and the darkness, you would think they would fall down and worship. They would plead for forgiveness. But the plagues show that it's extremely dangerous to turn from any teaching of God's word. Anything that God has said, you turn away from it. If you do that, you will be gradually led into darkness. One step away from Christ leads to another and then still another. One compromise of truth leads to another, to another and another. One compromising of God's word leads to another compromise. The plagues warn us to look away from all that is contrary to God's word, even if it's a huge religious conglomerate, to look to God's word for light. So Armageddon, let's look at the word for Armageddon. It comes from the Hebrew words which are Har and Megiddo, meaning the mountain of slaughter. In the book of Judges, when God's people were surrounded and doom seemed certain, God miraculously delivered them. The battle of Armageddon is not a battle on earth. Although there may be physical conflict leading up to it, it is a final conquest of Jesus Christ and the armies of heaven against the power of Satan and his evil angels. It's earth's last war, but notice God's promise to preserve his people. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor by the arrow, or in today's vernacular, the projectile that flies by the day. God will protect us. You know, there's stories of God's protection in our early history. There was an Indian who was a very sure shot. He did not miss. He shot multiple times at George Washington and didn't hit him. Several horses were shot out from underneath George Washington, but God spared his life. There have been other people that have been spared for later because God had a plan for them later in life. You look at Teddy Roosevelt whenever he was in the Battle of San Juan down in um, Cuba. How many times was he sure to be shot? He survived. He became president. All of these these things point to the fact that God has been sparing his people for a time, and if we trust him, he will continue. Nor of the pestilence that walks in the darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. And why not? Psalms 91, verses 5 through 8. This is a promise we can hang on to. A thousand may fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. There's a wonderful book by, um, it's called A Thousand Shall Fall. And this soldier is in the Third Reich. He's in the Nazi military. And he stands for God even amongst the Nazis. And it comes down to the point where he tells his commander, Daniel 2 says, Hitler will not rule the world. And And his commander says, let me look at your Bible. He gives the Bible back a couple of days later. He says, okay, start rationing so we can get back. And they had enough fuel to get back to the American side because they knew if they were with the Russians, the Russians were going to destroy them, uh, especially once the war was over. But if they got back to the Americans, the Americans were more Christian and they could trust the Americans. And so that battalion or that group, they got back to the American side. It's a very interesting story and in how God worked for his wife and children while all this was going on. It's an amazing story. 
A thousand may fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. In Christ we are secure, sheltered and safe. In Christ we have a fortress, we are protected. A thousand may fall, but we don't need to fear. The Bible says there will, we will be delivered by plagues. Let's see. Are we, yeah, I missed that. Are we delivered before the plagues? No. We're not going to be delivered before the plagues, but we're going to be delivered through the plagues. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that keepeth, or he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and see his shame. After the six plagues, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Now, does it mean he's just going to slip in and slip out? No, his manner of coming is like a thief. What sense would it make to say that, God, that Christ delivers his people before the tribulation when the Bible says he is coming as a thief after the tribulation? It would make no sense at all. God's people, if he is going, he is going to deliver them through this, and so they're going to go through these like we saw in the other stories of the children of Israel, the, the three Hebrew worthies, even Daniel. Just go through all these stories. The point is, during the seven plagues, God will protect his people. So the seventh of the plagues is a welcome relief, the coming of Christ. During the seven last plagues, God is our refuge and security. During the seven, plague, seven last plagues, Jesus is all in all to them. As the battle of Armageddon takes place, as this, at this final conflict and war occurs, the wicked will finally try to triumph over the righteous. Unbelievers try to finally destroy the believers, but Satan's wrath will be stopped. He will pour out everything he can on God's last people, but Jesus is going to come and stop it. And Notice what this says. The seventh plague climaxes with the coming of Christ. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, where is the throne? The throne of God. Saying, it is done. Remember when Jesus was on the cross? It is finished. It's done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and there was a great earthquake. And there was in such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were not on the earth. Of all the earth. All the, everything on the earth begins to shake. It begins losing its foundation. The planet earth is now being delivered from, delivered from the bondage of sin. So even the ground itself is revolting against sin and the pangs of the earth is saying it's done. The Bible says, then every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And great hail from heaven fell upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Now notice, a talent is 66 pounds. How much does a bowling ball weigh? 16 pounds? Okay, so you got that versus 66 pounds. This is heaven's artillery. It's going to destroy everything. The earth will not be inhabitable when Christ comes. It's not that we're, some people are going to say, see ya. It's going to be devastation. But God will protect those who... He will protect those who have trusted him. But there is a great earthquake and every mountain and island is moved out of its place. Jesus streams down from the corridor of the sky. Hailstones come down and crush the wicked. Christ comes on his throne. 
God does not take joy in the suffering of the wicked. But because they clung to sin, there's no way to crush out sin without crushing them out. It's a choice. God is trying to give us that last choice. And the message of the everlasting gospel is turn away from sin. Let go of it because sin will be destroyed. Here's an interesting story. An Australian lumberman was returning to his home after working in the woods. And as he got closer, he started to smell something. And he got to his house and he realized that the fire had destroyed his farm. So as he was going through the rubble, he found the body of a mother hen. And she was just, she'd been burnt. And the the charred remains of her body were there. And so he kind of bumped her with his foot. And out from underneath her came four little chicks. The mother sacrificed herself to protect her little ones. God is doing everything he can to protect us. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. Who is he? Christ. He gave up everything to protect us from the wrath of sin. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. His truth is the good news of the gospel. He's trying everything he can to get the message that Satan's lies are not trustworthy. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come upon your dwelling. You can put your trust in Christ. You can put your hand in his, and you can trust him. We have nothing to fear in our hearts if our hearts are with it, our hearts and our hands are in Christ's heart. If your mind is one with Christ, you are secure. Take your eyes off the trouble and difficulty and put them on Christ. Give God the glory. So, God has given us a message, the everlasting gospel. And the gospel is the good news. He wants to make heaven our home. He want, he's made Jesus' his promise in John 14, 1 through 3. If you... He, <laughs> funny. God has given us that promise. We have nothing to fear in the future. John 14, I want to read that. Don't want to mess that up. Let not your heart be troubled. What does it say? If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many. How many is many? There's going to be a great multitude that are going to believe. There's going to be a lot of homes. And I can't wait to see all the little kids there. There's, you know, you think children's story is something here. <laughs> Can you imagine that? There's a lot of little ones we're looking forward to seeing. I know of two. And if I go and prepare, well, three actually. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So, Christ is our security. God wants us to take a stand. He wants us to stand up to Satan and his lies. So, will you stand with Christ? Will you stand with him in that day whenever everything is falling apart and say, Lord, I trust you? Will you? Let's have our closing song. Our hymn of response is number 495, Near to the Heart of God, number 495.
Let's bow our heads. Our Father, we thank you that we can come to you, that it is your desire, and Father, as the creator of the universe, it's just something to think, that your heart's desire is that we would be with you. And Father, as you have created all this universe, it would be so easy for you just to draw us to you without our will. But Father, you respect our will. You respect our choices. And so, Father, in this quiet moment, help us to commit to you what you have given to us. Father, every blessing that we have in this life comes from you. Help us to submit those things to you so they do not, do not become distractions, but they will become tools of salvation, whether it's a sword or whether it's a hammer or whether it's the Bible or a computer or whatever it is. Father, may all these things be attributed to your praise and your honor and glory. Help us not to hang on to the things of this world as being more valuable than the eternal life that you want to give us. Father, may your life, may the life of your son work in us. Help us to see his sacrifice and help us to be willing to make a commitment in our lives that we will follow him, that we will trust him and we will worship him. And that when he comes in the clouds, we will not be running away, but we will be running towards him, saying, this is our God, we have waited for him. Thank you, Father, for this message of Armageddon. It's a battle for the mind, and Father, we can choose, but it's up to us. So help us to make that choice today. In Jesus' name we ask these things, amen.